Wildwood Community Church exists to glorify God by connecting people to Christ, His worship, His community, and His mission. To contact us or for more information, see our website at wildwoodchurch.org. My name is John Abernathy. I'm the care pastor here at Wildwood. Uh, We have been here for a little over 17 years, and we love worshiping with you and living life with you guys. So happy to be here. The fact that you're here, like Mark said, that means you're on a staycation. Yeah. (laughs) means you didn't go anywhere for spring break or you haven't gone yet. I I had a buddy who uh, would go to like Kohl's and he would get in the um, lawn furniture and send me pictures over his spring break. So like, okay, that's not bad. Um, Anyway, we get to see the beautiful Bradford pears blooming and the red cedars giving their pollen and it's a good week. Actually, I love this time of year. How many of you guys love the Easter season, right? I love it, right? Because as we work up toward Palm Sunday next week, then it's Holy Week, and then it's Easter. I love this season where we can focus on God's provision for our sin through His Son, Jesus. Um, one of my favorite Good Friday verses, John eighteen eleven, says this, Put your sword into its sheath. Shall I not drink the cup that the Father has given me? You guys know where that's from? Pop quiz, you're not even awake. Right, the Garden of Gethsemane, right? So when Peter had just cut off the ear of the high priest's servant, uh, Malchus, uh, Jesus says to him, put your sword away, Peter. I must drink this cup of wrath. Stop, this is why I came to earth. Right? And then he goes on in Matthew 26, and he says, Don't you think that I cannot appeal to my Father, and he would at once send me more than 12 legions of angels? But how then should the Scriptures be fulfilled? That it must be so. But all this has taken place that the Scriptures of the prophets might be fulfilled. He says, I could call down 72,000 angels and stop this whole process of me going to the cross. But then the Scriptures and the prophecy wouldn't be fulfilled. So I'm not going to do it, Peter. Put your sword away. I love it. Um, Jesus had a purpose when he came to earth, and that purpose was to be the sacrificial offering for our sin, and he told those around him that it was going to happen. Okay? Uh, Some years it seems like as we start into Easter season, it seems like we just start at Palm Sunday and we end at Easter. Right, All of a sudden, oh, it's Palm Sunday, there come the kids with the branches, and okay, then we do Easter season, and then it's Easter, right? It's not like Christmas, like starts in September or whenever it starts, and if my lights possibly could still be up, I'm sorry, Lori, Um, but it's not like Christmas, right? Um, But there's more wonderful, applicable truth to understand God's uh, giving of Jesus at the cross that we can study Uh, as he journeys to his resurrection and Easter. So as we study God's Word together today, we're going to look at three of the four times that Jesus predicts his passion, his death, and his resurrection. They're up on the screen. These are the three out of Matthew. They're also in Luke and Mark. Uh, We're going to be focused this morning, though, on these three passages out of Matthew. Jesus here will specifically predict his coming suffering, his death, and his resurrection. Open up your Bibles, if you would, to Matthew chapter 16. Matthew chapter 16. About three-quarters of the way through your Bible. If you don't have a Bible, there's some black ones in the seat back, the tray in front of you, and it's on page 14 
in the New Testament in the, in the far right side of that Bible. Just to make it confusing, it starts over in the New Testament. So page 14. Prediction 1 that Jesus gives, verse 21 of Matthew 16. From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. In and of itself, the fact that he tells them, I'm going to be killed, would be stunning and eye-opening. But he says, after I die, I'm going to be raised. And this prediction by Jesus Christ will come true. His death and his resurrection will be the most important event in human history and the most important one to us personally as well. We can have salvation. We can have eternal life. We can have an inheritance in heaven based on what Christ does and our response to that event. But the salvation of the Easter sacrifice doesn't start here in Matthew 16, right? This was like we were given a book and we opened it about two-thirds of the way through and we started reading. We wouldn't do that with a book, right? To know the full force of the redemption, uh, the salvation, the the power of Christ, to understand and remember uh, who Jesus is is important to understanding this. So we're going to take a walk a little bit through history. Um, I hope you drank a bunch of coffee we got a lot of stuff to get through. If you don't, just go out and get some and come back in, right? Let's dive in. This is before the world was created, okay? These are truths about Christ, truths about Christ. He is the second person of the Trinity, and he has always existed, right? Jesus is God, and he has always existed, okay? So this is before the world is even created, okay? The earth and everything in it was made through Christ and for Christ. Okay? Christ is before all things, and he holds all things together. Okay? So Jesus is the one who has always existed, who created the world and its inhabitants, and holds everything together. Okay? Then after the world is created, we have the fall, where sin and death enter into the human race. Right? We see this in Genesis chapter 3. Then in Romans chapter 5, where uh, he says about the first Adam, right? We know that sin and death enters the human race, okay? Then we see the Lord in events and promises that he makes through the lives of Adam and Noah and Abraham, Joseph, then bondage in Egypt to the people, including Moses. So by 1500 B.C., right, 1500 years before Christ, during the time of Moses, the people are in slavery in Egypt, Remember this, right? There were 10 plagues. Do you remember the 10th one? The death of the firstborns, right? And so in this plague, we have a foreshadowing of the gospel. And in preparation for this night of death, instructions are given to Aaron and Moses uh, to tell the people of Israel. And here's what God tells them to say. You need to take an unblemished lamb and kill it. You are to put the blood over the doorposts of your house. You are to eat and be prepared to leave quickly. Okay, I'm going to read to you from Exodus 12. And there's a reason we're doing this. You're going to see this in a second. Exodus 12, very beginning of your Bible. It says this. 
where I will pass, this is the Lord, I will pass through the land of Egypt that night, and I will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and on all the gods of Egypt I will execute judgments. I am the Lord. The blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are, and when I see the blood, I will pass over you. And no plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. So the blood of the lamb will be a sign for the Lord to pass over the death that was going to all the firstborns. The people then were to celebrate the Passover every year. What happened that night? Verse 29 Exodus 12, 29, at midnight, the Lord struck down all the firstborn in the land of Egypt. From the firstborn of Pharaoh who sat upon his throne to the firstborn of the captive in the dungeon and all the firstborn of the livestock. And Pharaoh rose up in the night, he and all his servants and all the Egyptians. And there was a great cry in Egypt for there was not a house where someone was not dead. And he summoned Moses and Aaron by night. Pharaoh said, up, go out from among my people both you and the people of Israel, go and serve the Lord as you have said. So the Lord kept his promise to spare the children of those whose homes were covered by the blood of the lamb. Okay, so death came to those not covered by the blood. Okay, the people of Israel then celebrate the Passover. Once they're in the promised land, they celebrate the Passover yearly. Okay, this is 1,500 years before Christ. During biblical times, it was celebrated by a pilgrimage to Jerusalem. Okay, and that's what Jesus and his disciples were doing when they come in the triumphal entry. Okay, they're coming to celebrate the Passover uh, of the Lamb. Okay, so Jesus existed before the world with the fall sin entered into the world, okay, into all mankind. Uh, A Savior is needed. There were promises given to the people. Uh, The Passover was instituted, and then there is the giving of the law. Okay, so Exodus 20. Starting in Exodus 20 and following, the law is given to Moses. Okay, the Ten Commandments, the sacrificial system, clean and unclean. Okay, you tracking with me? But no lasting sacrifice is given that was effective enough to cover sin. So things change. The law is introduced, and they begin sacrifices. Okay. After the law in the next several hundred years of history, uh, then there are the prophets. Okay. The prophets called people to repentance. Not only that, they also told specifics about a Messiah that was to come. Okay. So calling people to repentance and talking about Messiah. Here's a few of them up on the screen, and we don't have time to look at all of them. I, I want to read one of them to you, though, and that is the passage out of Isaiah 53. You want to follow along with me. Isaiah is right in the middle of your Bible. Isaiah 53. So Isaiah lived about 700 years before Christ. Okay, this was the very end of the Assyrian Empire. Okay, so he's prophesying again seven centuries before Christ, starting in verse 4 of chapter 53. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. 
All like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, and like a sheep that before it shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. This prophecy says that he is going to be pierced for our transgressions. By his scourging, we will be healed, that our iniquity is going to fall on him. He will be like a lamb led to the slaughter. Again, 700 years before Christ. The prophets continue until about 400 years before Christ, Malachi being the last prophet. After Malachi, those 400 years, we have silence. Okay, but during those 400 years, during these years, they're still keeping the Passover. They're still doing the sacrifices of the blood. Okay, they're still doing these things every year. Then it happens, right? This is the good part. The creator of the universe is going to take on the flesh of the created. Okay? So it says, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. This person, uh, Jesus Christ, who has existed from eternity past, comes as a man. John the Baptist says this. He says, behold, what does he call him? The Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Colossians says that in Jesus, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. Jesus, the Messiah, is here. He's going to teach. He's going to heal. He's going to love. He's going to lead people throughout his ministry. He came to earth, right? He was born of a virgin. He lived a sinless life, and he had a purpose. What was the purpose? Okay, the purpose is found in Mark 10, 45. He came to give his life as a ransom for many. He took on flesh, not just to heal, not just to lead, not just to teach. He took on flesh to become a sacrifice, okay, to become a sacrifice. Um, He knew his purpose. He knew God's plan, and he knew his future from all eternity. He knew these things already. Okay, we're going to look at these three predictions, and as we do it, we're going to do it in in a unique way. We're going to look at what happened before the prediction, at the prediction, and then after the prediction. And I think it would give some insight into what the disciples and the people around had seen, sort of the context here, okay? So just before the first prediction that Jesus gives, okay, several things are happening. Jesus is healing people. We're back in Matthew, sorry. Jesus is healing people in chapter 15. It says this, and great crowds came to him, bringing with them the lame, the blind, the crippled, the mute, and many others. And they put them at his feet, and he healed them. So the crowd wondered when they saw the mute speaking, the crippled healthy, the lame walking, the blind seeing, and they glorified the God of Israel. So this is happening. Great crowds. Jesus is healing. Then we have the feeding of the 4,000. Right? Jesus has compassion on the people because they haven't eaten for three days, and he tells the disciples to feed them. So from seven loaves and a few fish... They feed 4,000 men plus the women and the children, and there's seven baskets left over. All right, they see another miracle. Then, right before Jesus tells them he's going to go to the cross, we have this confession by Peter where he says this. He says, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God, to Jesus, remember? Jesus had asked them, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And that's his response. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus says, blessed are you, 
Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood didn't reveal this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. Then Jesus tells them, upon this church I will build my rock, the gates of hell will not prevail against it, and I will give you the keys of the kingdom to bind and to loose. Okay? So we have all of these things happening. This is a really high point for the disciples and the people around. Then Jesus gives the prediction. Okay, so we're back in Matthew 16. Verse 21, from that time Jesus began to show his disciples, from that time when he was doing all of these things, that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and the chief priests and the scribes, and he would be killed and on the third day be raised. Spurgeon says this, he says, true, they would have no share in the scourging and the crucifixion. He must tread that wine press alone. But they would, with him, carry the cross in the near future and deny themselves during the rest of their lives. Henceforward, it would not be only Jesus, the Lord, who would bear witness for God and righteousness, but the followers of the crucified one would unite in testimony to the same truth for the same great purpose. And many of them would be put to death for it. What were the responses to this first prediction? Okay. Now, Lori can attest to this. There's, there's several times in life where I mess up and I don't respond well. I'm just being open and honest, okay? I don't respond well, okay? I think Peter has me beat. Look at verse 22 here. He's going to make some of us look better. Peter took Jesus aside and began to rebuke him, saying, Far be it from you, Lord, this shall never happen to you. This is not going to go well. That's what I'm thinking. Jesus says, this is God's plan. Peter, don't be a stumbling block. Your priorities are in the wrong place. You're just thinking of yourself. Then Jesus turns and says to the disciples, verse 24 and 25, he says, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself. Take up his cross and follow me. Whoever would save his life would lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. So Jesus says to his disciples, deny yourselves, take up your cross, just before Jesus is going to take up his. And again, they will take up their cross. Many of them will be killed. Okay, in chapter 17, we're going to get the second prediction of his death and his resurrection. But what happens just before? Just before we have the transfiguration, okay? Uh, This is about a week after, somewhere between six and eight days after the first prediction. So really close time period here. Um, Peter, James, and John go up on the mountain, a tall mountain, it says, and they uh, see Jesus' face shining like the sun, right? And who do they see with him? Moses and Elijah, okay? So these three disciples go up. They see Jesus transformed. Then a cloud goes around them, and a voice says this, "'This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased.'" It's God himself speaking, They fell face down and were terrified. I would have been too. Then when they headed down the mountain, Jesus will tell them, hey, don't tell this vision to anybody until I rise again. So these three disciples see see Moses and Elijah and Jesus talking, right? And they hear God talking, okay? So they go from being rebuked to this mountaintop experience to not being able to heal this demon-possessed boy, Okay, so Jesus tells them it's because of their small faith that they can't heal him. Okay? Luke tells us 
that all there when Jesus healed this boy were astonished at the majesty of God. They were marveling at everything he was doing. Then comes the second prediction. Okay, Matthew 17, I'm in verse 22. As they were gathering in Galilee, Jesus said to them, the Son of Man is about to be delivered into the hands of men, and they will kill him, and he will be raised on the third day. This time they don't get mad. You see what happens in the next verse. It says they become deeply upset. They are greatly distressed. Luke adds here in his account that they didn't understand and they were afraid to ask. Why were they upset? Were they upset that uh, their friend and their Savior, Jesus, said he was going to die? Are they upset that um, maybe their Jewish view of the inauguration of the kingdom wasn't going to come to pass? We don't know why they're upset here. It just says that they are upset. They are grieved and they are afraid. After the second prediction, a couple things happen. Jesus tells Peter, when he asked him about this tax, go catch a fish and you'll find a coin in its mouth and you pay the tax with that. Would have liked to have seen that. He also says about this uh, master of the house that the kingdom of heaven is like a master of the house and that the master can give what belongs to him. And he ends this by saying, uh, the last shall be first. So we have a miracle, then we have another teaching on the last shall be first. Then we're going to have the third and final prediction here uh, in this part of Matthew, Matthew 20. In this third prediction, it's going to say that Jesus is going up to Jerusalem for the Passover. Okay? That's a, that's a good 2,500 feet above sea level. So they're actually going to walk up and go up to the Passover. Okay, now we're almost to, to Good Friday and Holy Week, right? He's going to be very graphic and very specific in this prediction. Okay? I'm in Matthew 20, verse 17. As Jesus was going up to Jerusalem, he took the 12 disciples aside. Interesting, this is the disciples, the 12. And he says to them, see, we are going up to Jerusalem. And the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and scribes, and they will condemn him to death and deliver him over to the Gentiles to be mocked and flogged and crucified. And he will be raised on the third day. That is the third prediction. MacArthur says, John MacArthur says about this prediction, so our Lord says we go to Jerusalem. The disciples figure we're going there for the Passover. What they didn't know was that they were going there with the Passover lamb. They were looking for lion, but he was thinking lamb. They were thinking kingdom, but he's thinking sacrifice. They're thinking glory. He's thinking suffering and a different kind of glory. Spurgeon, late 1800s, writes this, when our Lord on this occasion spoke to the 12, it was significant what time it was. They were on their way to this great trial. He says, to him, his coming suffering was the sum of all trial. He was about to be wounded for our transgressions and bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was about to fall on him, that with his stripes we might be healed. But it was to be a time of great trial to the disciples also. Inasmuch as they loved their Lord, they would sympathize with his sufferings and death. Inasmuch as they trusted in him, it would be a sharp trial to their faith to see him dying on a cross, vanquished by his remorseless enemies. And inasmuch as they loved his company, they would weep 
and lament and feel like orphaned children when he was taken from them. Jesus is very specific here about what's going to happen to him. There are eight things that are going to happen to him that he predicts before they happen. The three accounts listed up there, Matthew 20, Mark 10, and Luke 18. When you combine these accounts, you have these eight uh, predictions. He says, I will be delivered to the chief priest and the scribes. I will be delivered to Gentiles, so non-Jews. I will be mocked, shamed, spat upon, flogged, crucified and I will rise on the third day. Did all of this happen? You'll have to come back next week to find out, right? I'll have Mark tell you if it happened or not. I didn't really get that far in my study. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) Yes, it happened. I'll give you one. Okay, I'll give you one, okay? I'll give you uh, mocked, okay? So go to Matthew chapter 27. Matthew 27, verse 27. So right after Pilate here delivers Jesus over to be crucified. Listen to what happens to the creator of the universe. Then the soldiers of the governor took Jesus into the governor's headquarters, Matthew 27, 27, and they gathered the whole battalion before him. So you can imagine this. In the governor's headquarters, a whole battalion before Christ, these soldiers stripped Jesus and put a scarlet robe on him. They twist together a crown of thorns, put it on his head, And they put a reed in his right hand. Then they kneel before him and they mock him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews. They spit on him. That gives you one other answer. And they took the reed and they struck him on the head. When they had mocked him, they stripped him of the robe and put his own clothes on him and led him away to crucify him. Again, can you imagine the creator and the sustainer of the universe knowing this was going to happen and allowing this to happen because of his love for you and his love for me? You know, you can look up the rest of these predictions maybe in your Bible study time this week. Um, If you want to email them to me, we can dialogue about it. Um, But Jesus here is in control even when he's being humiliated. This is important to see. He allows it to happen, right? Uh, Daryl Bach, a professor at uh, DTS, says this, Jesus is in control of events. He willingly submits to what happens. His death comes as no surprise. The Scripture promised it, and Jesus foretold it. When he suffers, he suffers willingly and knowingly. This is no accident, Tom Constable says this. He says, Jesus' ability to predict his own death was another indication of his messiahship. His willingness to proceed toward Jerusalem in view of what lay before him shows that he was, as Isaiah 53 says, the suffering servant, obedient even to death on a cross. Can we get an amen to that? Why Why did he do it? He did it so that we can be saved from our sin. It wasn't so that uh, we could just see that he predicted something that would then come true. What came true was his death and resurrection, right? He did it so that we can be saved from our sin, so that we can have our sins forgiven by his death, his ransom, his blood in our place, okay? Let's look at a couple scriptures here. 1 Peter 
chapter 2. He himself bore on his, in his body on the cross, excuse me, let me start over. He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross. Okay? He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 21. He made him, God made Jesus, who knew no sin, to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Timothy chapter 2. For there is one God and there is one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for us all. Again, there is one God and there is one mediator between God and man, the man Jesus Christ, who gave himself as a ransom for all. You can continue to say amen. That's another amen, right? Making you uncomfortable. Okay, how about this? Read this one with me, John three sixteen. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Amen to that one, right? He offers this gift of salvation that came through his death and his resurrection. He offers it today, now, March 18th, 2018. The gift is there. If you don't know Christ and haven't accepted his payment for your sin, he offers it today. The whole reason we spoke through all of these things, the whole reason he came to earth was for you. You can have forgiveness from your sin today. You can know that you're going to spend eternity with the Lord, right? We had um, Sherry Smith, some of you know Sherry, passed away this week, and we had her service here yesterday. And, you know, Sherry fought, she had a lot of things happen in her life that were difficult, and she was faithful till the end, uh, including this, this horrible cancer. And uh, celebrating her life yesterday, because she knew Christ, and knew his payment for her sin, we knew where she was. She truly was in a better place. I will miss her. I will see her again. And there was hope, a lot of hope, right? Um, today can be the day of salvation, right? Um, what happens when you trust in Christ for your forgiveness? Okay, I'll close with this. First uh, Peter 3 says this, According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance. Get this, to an inheritance. And look what it says. It's imperishable, it's undefiled, it's unfading, and it's kept in heaven for you, who by God's power you are being guarded through faith. So not only is there forgiveness of our sin, the giving of the Holy Spirit in our life here, there is an inheritance in heaven for us. All because our Savior, who knew from the foundation of the world, chose anyway to come and to die on the cross for our sin. And he lives today. He lives today. He's at the right hand of God the Father. Let me pray for us. Father God, thank you for your word. Thank you that... Uh, you sent your son to the earth. 
Lord, that um, there was a law that we could not keep. There was prophecy given about him, Lord. The blood of the Passover showed us that blood was needed to cover death. Lord, and you sent your son, and your son lived a perfect life and yet was mocked and scourged and beaten and killed in a horrible way for us. And we thank you. We give you the praise. We give you the honor. We give you the glory for that. Father, help us to give our lives to Christ today, Lord, that those in this room that have never done that, that today would be the day of salvation, Lord, that they would come to faith in you. Lord, we pray that you would be glorified, and we thank you for Jesus in his name. Amen.